All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Thursday. That means we have another episode of the MSP Initiative, 1 o'clock Eastern. We have our friends from the Channel Strong Tour, Ken Patterson again, and the wonderful Amy Luby. How are you doing, Amy? I'm doing great. It's good to see you guys again. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it feels like the tour was like, you know, eternity ago. Uh, yeah, like a year ago. I feel yeah. like it's, it's been a long time since I've seen you guys. Yeah, well, after three weeks straight, I think that's probably not a bad thing, right? <laughs> oh, I yeah. Well, we just won't talk about it. That's all. <laughs> well, that's what we're doing on this whole. Anyway, um, so you know. Yeah, we're bringing everybody back from the tour to talk about what we saw, what we learned, right? And and as we talked with MSPs and actually kept in touch with MSPs that we met with on the road, right? You know, because it's been now a few weeks and things have progressed. Um, you know, like, you know, we had, you know, we've had a couple themes, right? As we've gone along, uh, you know, but ultimately, Amy, I'd love to just get like a zoomed out picture. You know, we called you up. We said, hey, we're going to go around the country 7,000 miles. What was the first thing that came to your head? <laughs> Honestly, kick ass. I think I actually <laughs> said that to Ken. Um, no, it was a great idea. It was a great idea. We, um, you know, we needed a break. Uh, and when I say we, I don't mean just the three of us or the seven of us that were on the tour. Um, everybody we met needed a break. And I think that was one of the strongest themes, if you will, um, with conversations on the road was Thank you guys for doing this. It was awesome to come out and stand out here, sometimes in the sweltering heat even, um, but just to have live interaction. I mean, we just, you know, you could feel it. It was palpable. People needed it. Um, so, you know, it was great. It was great to be able to do that and, you know, have the opportunity to be a part of it. So thank you guys. Appreciate it. No, th thank you for uh, taking three weeks out of your life to uh, hear us uh drive around and complain um my so, family appreciated it so it was <laughs> good right, for the most cool. part that works um so ken you know we, we've had a lot of themes that have kind of continued to expand from you know from the tour right that yeah those things haven't really gone down i think they've really gone gone up if you would um so you know some of the things that we kept on running into were um, that MSPs are actually doing better than we thought in a lot of areas, right? Uh, I mean, not everybody's perfect, but things aren't dire like we thought it would. We've heard about security. We heard about, um, you know, MSPs collaborating with each other. Like you've kept in touch with a lot of the people that we, you know, connected with along the way. What's continued along at, you know, since we've been back? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like you said, not everybody's, uh, not everything is working for everybody, right? The, the one common theme that, that slowed down a little bit was projects, right? Obviously, if there's not people in their offices, you're not going to be going to their office and doing projects. But I think that they found ways to do other things in lieu of projects. And um, business itself picked up, of course, going in the direction of cloud. Uh, from a common theme, I think... Um, I think not only our community has gotten tighter, but I think some of these, some of the businesses with their employees, their relationships got tighter because, uh, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these MSP leaders are thought leaders and they were thinking of, okay, what are we going to do now? Right. We're not in the office as much or at all in some cases, 
And yes, it's great that we're doing these teams calls, but what can we do a little differently? And I've been seeing the creativity of these, these companies, these business owners. And I'll tell you what, it's been pretty cool to see how people can pivot and come up with some really creative ways to get people together when they couldn't be together at the same place. Um, it won't ever replace the in-person, you know, the engineers being in person and working right next to each other and, you know, hey, wait, I, I saw something like this before and they help each other from that perspective, just like live events will never, ever be replaced by virtual events. I think that's still there, but just the creativity, just in general, like some of the things we heard about, like, you know, virtual yoga or a virtual doggy day or a virtual, you know, all these things that these guys are doing just to try to keep their mentality intact, right? Because doing this all the time can definitely, can definitely be, uh, a little bit more daunting on your men, you know, your mental state, and then also being stuck in one place, not really being able to get out and breathe a little bit. For sure. same, same thing. For sure. So I, 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 Amy works remote. I work remote. Ken, you work remote. We've all been working remote. Amy, like Zoom fatigue, right? Like once you do four hours of calls back to back to back with the screen, you're ready to jump into the, like the street and like go crazy. <laughs> right. right, right. No, but Ken makes a good point. I think. I think if you if you break it down, um, the commonality between all of the MSPs and frankly, probably all of us vendors to keep going, if you will, you've got the technology side, cloud, um, but you have the company culture side too. So cloud and culture was, was kind of a, a theme there. Um, and I think the, the MSPs that we spoke to who were already steeped in cloud technologies um, fared very, very well, very well. Um, and in fact, are moving on to add more clients, et cetera. Um, and that progressive posture, if you will, um, leads into their culture. And so they, were, they were also very interested and focused on maintaining culture for their own employees um, and keeping them, you know, their spirits high. So, you know, you're right on, Ken, with that. Um, culture's a big deal here. So, so, I'm glad you said with that. I'm not, I'm not typically right on. So that was good that you pointed out just that one thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're, you're spot on more often than not. <laughs> I'm going to throw a couple of, uh, you know, realities out there and we'll see, we'll see if everyone agrees, right? Do you agree that people who doubled down on marketing efforts earlier into the pandemic actually panned out better as time went on? Yes or no? Oh, for sure. I mean, well, let's, let's be more I specific. I'm I sorry. That, yeah, I don't know if that's pandemic specific. Um, you know, your MSPs that have been more progressive with their marketing tactics and especially um, digital and social marketing um have fared better you know obviously they were more prepared for a virtual world right um same could be said for vendors um those of us you know who were well positioned on the digital and social marketing side you know have fared a little bit better than those that weren't um so i i think the pandemic just um put a spotlight on other organizations strong spots and their weak spots, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what I a would, crisis does anyway. I would agree with that 100%. You're right. I think uh, Reese, Reese always says that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't show character, it reveals it, right? From that standpoint, that's what the crisis does. But I would take it a step further and say, it wasn't just marketing, it was how they were marketing. Doubling down on education, that's where the people were the most successful. 
the MSPs that pushed education about how do you do this? How do you work teams? How do you work from home? How do you do it securely? What are the next steps? What are you going to be able to do with your business? Like all the things that had nothing to do with selling and everything to do with education, those MSPs are faring much better right now. Okay. I'll go ahead, Amy. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, And you're kind of really what you're talking about is leadership skills. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, I I was talking to uh, another, well, I was listening to another MSP the other day. Um, who was talking about, you know, we were scared. I was scared as a business owner. My clients who are business owners are scared too. And, you know, I made the mental shift to say, okay, I'm scared. So now I got to learn everything I need to know about how to get through this, um, how to do the remote technologies and do them well. And now I'm going to educate my clients and, I, and I'm going to show them. I'm like, it's going to be okay. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and that, that's a strong position to um, pivot into, if you will, uh, to survive any kind of crisis, frankly. Um, but as an entrepreneur, I, I think that was really smart uh, to be able to do that. Say, here's my weakness and be vulnerable enough to say, you know what, I, I, I am scared, but here are the things I'm going to do to get through this. Yeah. So let's, let's also think about another topic, right? So how many people did we hear from on the road or what was the overall sentiment on, you know, going back to doing on-site work, right? I mean, there was, you know, different people, like as we drove to the country, right? Different people were in different mindsets, you know, like Denver was a completely different feel than Texas or Texas was a completely different feel from North Carolina, right? Like everyone, you know, Chicago where we started, right? I mean, that was a completely different feel than where we all started from our own, you know, cities. Right. So, you know, where did you think the overall sentiment was with did people feel confident sending their people back on site? Were they still avoiding it? Was it in dire emergency? What, what was the overall sentiment there? Um, you know, I think our, our MSP partners had to be on site for a lot of this. Um, and frankly, just kind of, if you look at it one way, put themselves in harm's way, right? Put the masks on um, early on. A lot of people were even wearing gloves, um, but going in there because their clients needed to stay in business. Um, it, it, you know, I mean, we're talking about people's livelihoods, right? Um, and, and in the early days, we were talking about essential business. Um, MSPs clearly are essential uh, and, and had to just dive right in, just like a healthcare worker would. Um, you know, and, and get into those home offices and help these people stay in business and make sure that they're doing it safely from a technology perspective. Um, so I think it was less of a will I or won't I decision. It's I have to. So how can I do this as safely as possible for myself and my team and also for my clients? Yeah, I think they were giving, uh, it was interesting. So if you're talking about just in office, right, the, the, the MSPs that were working in their office already, you know, you went to a place like Kansas City and they were working at their office, no issues, they were there. Um, clearly a place where less masks were, wore, were worn, you know, it was a little bit freer. Uh, same with Texas, I would say. Um, and then you go to places like Denver and I think more, there are more people working from home but they're still, from an IT perspective, the MSPs were still a mix of that. And their big, the big 
the common theme I heard across all that was we're going to give our people the option. We're going to say to them, listen, if you feel more comfortable working from home, that's great. And we're going to give them tasks and we're going to assign those tasks. And by the way, some people became more efficient working from home. So there was that going for them. And then as far as putting people on site, it was all about being responsible and then also making sure that their people felt comfortable going on site. So in some cases, um, even the owners were like, look, if my people don't want to do it, I guess I'm going to have to be the one to do it. But you're right. To Amy's point, we got to do it. We have to go on site. We have to take care of them. We are essential. And for the most part, I believe the tech community is, is pretty open to if we're doing it responsibly, we can do this. We can handle taking care of these problems. And to Amy's other point, MSPs are most definitely essential. And in some cases, they're as essential as the doctors and nurses because without the MSPs, the doctors and nurses can't work. Their businesses wouldn't function. So truly believe 100% that MSPs are so essential and, and we're hoping that that foothold is being grabbed a lot more now with all this going on so that we can point to the fact that MSPs, you know, need to get the credit they deserve. They are definitely essential. Fair enough. So let's talk about some, we, we saw some pretty cool offices, right? Like <laughs> you walk into some place and you're like, whoa, you guys really went all out. Right. And I kind of felt bad. Right. Cause like, they were, sometimes they weren't being used, you know, because yeah. of all the current situation. But did you, you know, did you get the feeling from the decision makers in each of these places that we went to, right? Because we had MSPs hosting us in each city that we went to. Did you get the feeling that, you know, they're looking at this into 2021 or even 2022 and maybe not really fully come back to the office anytime soon? Or is it the opposite? I got the feeling that they were coming back. Uh, th that's just my quick answer. I, I feel like a lot of them were saying, I mean, uh, you know, obviously Texas is a, maybe an easy example because those guys are definitely guns blazing the minute that, uh, you know, something was lifted. But um, Texas, for example, you know, those guys were saying, yeah, we're, we're, we're actually expanding our space out and we're building out another area and we're, because we're utilizing more of the space. So I did see that. I think that they're, a lot of them are going to come back. Like I said, some people will still work from home. They became more efficient and, and the, you know, the smart people will realize, well, if they're more efficient because they're home, they're closer to their families, they can do, you know, their pets, whatever it may be. Um, and then that works, then why not let them do it? But I do believe most businesses are ready to come back. The ones that we talked to, at least on the trip. What do you think, Amy? I, I think it's just a blend um, and a real blend of their model. You know, so we, the MSPs that hosted uh, these events that we did with Channel Strong typically were larger, you know, 30, 40, 50 employees, right? Um, it, it's relative, you know, many of them have service areas, if you will. Some of them have developers, et cetera, where, where it kind of lends um, to being together so that you can collaborate real time on the fly um, so I think in a lot of those scenarios, yeah, they're kind of chomping at the bit to get back to that. Um, having said that, um, there are a lot of MSPs that have always been remote, like right. they've not had a physical location. So I think it's just a blend, you know, and if you look at the broader um, global business scape, if you will, um, you know, all of the data is coming back saying a lot of these folks are are going to either be blended or maybe not even go back to a physical office because 
what we all found out was we can continue working. Um, you know, business continues whether we're in a physical office or in a home office or in a Starbucks or a wherever. Um, you know, business continues, commerce continues. Uh, so there's just certain segments that require being in a physical place, obviously like healthcare, things like that. You know, you, you, you've got to have a physical location for those types of things. But for MSPs, I think it's a blend. Um, I, and again, I would go back to kind of the original conversation about live human interaction. However, we can make that happen. Uh, people are looking forward to that. People are missing that. Um, so whether that means we're all gonna go back to a physical office or not, um, we're looking forward to it uh, when we can do it. I get it. I mean, but even still, even if people aren't going full-time back to physical office, we, we touched on it before, but it's worth saying again, there was some interesting ideas on how to get the staff culture kind of kicked back in the gear. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we were hearing like our, we, you know, us throwing at these parking lot type things weren't, wasn't original, right? People have been tailgating since sports, you know, started, but um, it seems like these teams, these offices are really starting to adopt a similar uh, idea, right? You know, in order to get their people back to some sort of camaraderie, right? That's lost through the screen. Um, did you feel like, you know, did you feel like people will continue to go into a, whether it's a weekly or a bi-weekly or a monthly, some sort of in-person get together, safely, but in-person get together? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, and that's, and that's kind of been the way, if you will, for companies who already were a hundred percent remote. Um, you know, whether it's a quarterly in-person retreat in one central location or, or, you know, whatever their cadence is, but definitely, some kind of FaceTime. I mean, it, it's just really difficult to, you know, you, you miss some of the subtleties of day-to-day -day interaction um, when you're 100% remote. Um, you know, you don't always get to spend time, you know, if you set aside an hour for some particular meeting with a particular purpose, you know, you don't know that your teammate an hour beforehand got some bad news about one of their kids or something like that, you know, so giving our teams an opportunity to have those types of interactions are extremely important. Um, and that's what builds a good team of good culture. You know, it's not just impersonal business stuff. It's, it's knowing who, you know, who you're working with and, and what they're like um, as a person, what their family life is, you know, it, it, it makes a big difference. And we used to do those, even though we all were in the office, because being in the office is your day-to-day -day grind. We used to do personal, you know, we would do it once a week we would, where we would connect up at a local bar or, or some local spot and, and basically invite everybody and say, look, we know you guys have lives. You don't have to come to every one, but we'd love it if you guys could make it to some of them. So parts of the team would go out, we would be interactive and we would do things kind of like what we did on the tour, right? go play cornhole, go play darts, go whatever it may be and bond. And the, we found that the parts of the team bonded some people who didn't normally talk to each other in the office. Cause one, you know, one person was with the dev team and one person was with the accounting team all of a sudden got together and started doing things together. And that brought different parts of the team together. So we were kind of doing that type of stuff when I was back, when I was back with my MSP before all this, 
And I do believe that now more than ever, to Amy's point, that if, you, if you're remote or not, having that type of stuff is going to be, it's, it proves to be very, very, uh, it's a very positive thing. It helps bring the team together. And we all know culture is the number one thing in any business. If your culture is right, everything else will come together. Everybody in the company knows exactly where your company's direction is. They all know, you know, they all walk through a wall for each other. That makes everything so much easier. So I think now more than ever, doing things like this, being able to bring people together and have them interact in a different way, not just the work, um, is, a, is another whole level of bonding. For sure. You know, after, after being on a bus for three <laughs> weeks with you guys, I would definitely walk through a wall for Ken and George. There you go. Uh, yeah. So, so we had Dave Sobel on, we had Dave Sobel out on Tuesday and we were going through current events, right? Cause he's Mr. Current events. And he was saying that the United States and Canada are paying more and getting less than almost everywhere else in the world when it comes to connectivity, cell phone, internet, uh, data type thing. And, and we push this theory to the max, right? Cause we had a hotspot from every vendor we could get from a cell phone standpoint. We were in and out of hotels and all that jazz. So, you know, was, were you surprised or did you, was it expected on the level of connectivity that we had as we were gallivanting around the highways? Well, do you want to talk about the cost of that connectivity or do you want to just talk about where we surprised about the actual connectivity? Cause both, both apply from my, from my, from my perspective, I'm, I know the cost was high. I will say that, yes, I'm pretty sure we had connectivity from almost everywhere. But if you needed to do some things like Amy over there, am I pointing the right way? Amy over there. She had to upload some pretty heavy stuff. And it definitely, that got a little bit tricky being, you know, having it to be that type of data and being on a bus. But other than that, connectivity was great almost everywhere we were. I never, I didn't drop a signal or drop a connection in, in very many places. Um, other than when all seven of us tried to get onto a video call at the same time, <laughs> we had yeah. some issues, uh, but that would be, you know, that's my take on it. I know Amy working at her workstation over there more than any of us, as far as on the keyboard while she was bouncing around trying to get it all done, um, probably had more to, you know, talk about with heavy duty uh, bandwidth stuff. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're spot on. I mean, it, it was, it was fine for email and typical, office work, but yeah, trying to do a, a Zoom call or, you know, yeah, all that video and the, <laughs> I, I know I maxed out our data, I think a couple times um, and until I figured out that I just needed to wait to get to the hotel. But then I was surprised, you know, that last hotel we were in didn't have internet. Like it was totally down. That's right. Yeah, no wow. internet. Yeah. And so that was pretty interesting. And it was like, the, the gal at the front desk was like, well, I don't know if we're going to bring it back. I mean, you know, so, I mean, so it was interesting to see, you know, and now this will go in a different direction, but, you know, kind of how these hotels have been hit hard. Um, some of them were well staffed, very clean. Others were like, wow, you guys, you probably should close the doors right now because this is not okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah the internet access saw. was pretty yeah. good. We definitely saw a lot of saran wrap. That 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 much I remember. <laughs> yeah, we did. Super weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we should give them a message that the the phone in the room is probably not as important as the uh, the internet access for sure. <laughs> well, here's what I want to know: When was the last time that phone was actually used and or cleaned? 
and then wrapping it in saran wrap, did that really make a difference? Like, why, why don't you just remove it? <laughs> yeah, they should just like do the app thing, right? You want to call the front desk, press it on the app, right? Exactly. exactly. Um, one, one of the other things that we, we really, we, we, right, probably don't see it as much, but we, we did, and we, we almost bring it up on every call. We don't realize what it, America looks like from the road, right? Like long haul driving, right? And we saw a, a little bit of a different side of America when we started hitting truck stops and middle of nowhere in the middle of the desert. And, and of course in Iowa, right? We had the largest truck stop in the world, which seemed like it was own little city kind of thing going on in there. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, we like, it's, it's very true. You go like an hour, hour and a half, two hours out of every major Metro and it's, completely different, right? Mm -hmm. Was there any particular place that we drove through, stopped, uh, any city we went to, any place we stayed at that you were like, wow, totally had no clue and this was not what I expected? Well, you know, I, I travel, I've traveled a lot and driving is my preferred mode of transportation. So I, I've seen a lot of the country. It makes sense now. Can yeah. you ask that question in the beginning? Go ahead. Well, I, I uh, so it was really nice. Um, I, I like that kind of travel. I, I think we have a beautiful country and I, I love that you can literally in a day go from plains to mountains to desert. Like, you know, where else can you do that in, in one country, right? Um, so I really enjoyed that aspect. And, you know, you guys probably thought I was just spacing off, but I spent a lot of time looking out the windows, you know, just, you know, looking at the beautiful country that we've got. Um, so that was fun for me. I wasn't too terribly surprised. My favorite parts are between the big cities. Because, um, you know, that's, that's where you kind of meet real, real people, right? The, you know, the, the kind of bones of, of the country and, um, where you see different lifestyles and different perspectives and you learn different ways. And, you know, the truck stop was certainly interesting in Iowa. The largest truck stop, Iowa, yes. I will agree. I, I can't say that enough. Like that was, you want to talk about the bones of the country. <laughs> right. Holy, holy. I, I, yeah, I will say that, that I, I still will say that. But I agree with you. I was looking out the window quite a bit and I'm not your... I'm not typically that kind of guy, right? Who like, ooh, look at the pretty, but I kept saying it to you guys, guys, look at this view. Hey, look over here, look over here. Like it just kept on coming out of me because I don't see that type of stuff. I don't see the mountains, definitely don't see a lot of mountains other than now, you know, I'm, my office is in Denver. So I go to Denver quite a bit, but I don't get to see that on a drive and be able to look to one side and see this big, beautiful lake and then look out the other side and see the, you know, the mountains or the, even the plains, just, Everything was really, really cool. I mean, obviously it was interesting driving by the border wall. That was interesting being that close to Mexico. I and thought, I thought so too. That was, watching George uh, hide under a blanket until we got past Border Patrol. <laughs> that was the, that, I did not realize how close that highway going across the southern, I had no, no clue, not. Me either. I thought there was like space. Some spaces there's not. <laughs> Especially El Paso. El Paso is right on it. I had right. never, I had never been to El Paso before. Yeah, you look to the left and you see these little teeny houses in El Paso. You look to the right and you see a wall, and then you see a highway on the other side with people driving, and it's Mexico. 
it's just, it's pretty crazy to even think about. hundred um, percent. Going back to what we learned from people on the road. Um, did you feel that, was there any particular size, right? Cause we had a, we had anywhere from a small shop to come out, you know, to come out to the parking lot all the way to, you know, again, some of the people that hosted us were pretty big in certain areas. Was there a size of company that you felt when you were talking to them, they didn't quite have it yet, right? They were still trying to figure out maybe the maturity of how to run the business, right? From an MSP standpoint, what, or, or did you feel that most people were past that that we talked to? I mean, I think it's, uh, uh, to use Amy's word, it's a blend. I think that uh, that was, that's so definitely. What, so what was the demarcation point, right? Was it sub five? Was it over 10? Like where, where did you well, feel? Let's, let, let's be fair about this. I think that from what I've seen, you could have someone be, sub 10 who's super mature and you could have someone that's sub 50 who's not very mature right just got lucky and their business was going in the right direction but they're still a, a, a majority of their business is not pushing in the right direction or they haven't thought about moving to managed services or towards the cloud as heavily as they probably should be so you know i i take that I do, you know, I, I mean, you know, personally, I take that to heart when I talk about maturity and I talk about where people are at, because I do really believe that, uh, you know, I met somebody on the road that was four people and I'll tell you what, he was very mature, knew where his company was going, had decision-making in mind, wanted to get to the cloud in a higher, at a higher rate, um, still suffering a little bit through the, through what's going on because he wasn't quite there yet, but he had it all in place. And that was making the decisions to move forward. So from my perspective, I think doing it based on, you know, those numbers doesn't always work out accurately because I do believe, you know, you could be four people and be pretty mature and have a direction and you could be 40 people and, and still not quite get it. If that makes sense. Okay. It's, it's a good, it's a good position. I mean, it all depends on, on the experience of the business, right. And the people that are running it, Amy, what'd you right. think? Um, you, you know, I have a little, I have a little bit different perspective on this. Um, you know, there are many, many entrepreneurs that run a business and we might call it a lifestyle business. And we might say that they're less mature than others. Um, a lot of times a lifestyle business, lifestyle business is um, smaller. You know, it's, it's less than five employees, usually. Um, I don't see that that defines maturity as much as just who's running the business. I mean, right. as, as you pointed out, Ken, you can have four employees and be very mature, be using, you know, cutting head, edge technologies, have all your clients in the cloud, et cetera, et cetera, which would be part of that maturity model, right? Um, as opposed to doing everything on premises, et cetera, whatever you're doing. Um, so, you know, I think to conclude with that, I mean, there's a blend all through our channel of, of large, aggressively growing companies versus companies that are, are good at the size they're at, but they're still right. very mature in their model. If you were to look at how they make decisions what type of operational efficiency they're running through, their financial efficiencies, 
and the technologies they're using. So I, I, I think it's a good blend and just depends on how you look at them. Fair enough. Do you, do you think that, you know, and again, this is just uh, feeding off this idea. Do you think that this 20% um, to the bottom line is, is that, is that real, right? Like they say mature top best in class is 20% and above in, in uh, you know, net profits, right? Is that, is that, is that the number that everybody, you know, should be basing their business on when they're trying to measure how far along they are, or is that, is that a pipe dream? <laughs> I think it, those numbers come um, from our kind of consulting category of folks who are trying to help MSPs be better. Mm -hmm. um, you see different numbers from our analysts um, who tell us that profit margin in the MSP space is very, very low. Um, so I think it depends on who you're listening to. And frankly, I think it's um, the, the reality on the street is that it's somewhere in between, really. Um, I mean, I running an IT services business, you've got to be at 30% gross margin in order to tread water, okay? So stay even, not have money for R&D or anything like that. Um, so where are you really? I, I don't know that anybody really, really knows. I think that we have consultants over here that say this is where you should be and best in class is this. Um, but I don't know that that's, I don't know. I'm going to say, it. I think it's a very arbitrary and I think it's um, something that, you know, depending on where you're at in your business maturity model and your leadership uh, maturity quotient, if you will, as an entrepreneur, um, you take all that information in. It's all good information to have. You look at the business that you want to have and the business that you have, and you make adjustments to get to where you want to be. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, so that, that's about all, all I can say. Oh, about that, that. That, that clearly comes from somebody who is in the weeds with everybody else. So, right. so yeah. that's, that's good. I think it's about a goal. I think it's about setting a goal to Amy's point, like the consultants are giving them this number and saying, you know, ideally this is the number where you should be at. Right. And at least they're giving them a number because Amy knows as well as, you know, typically when you start out as an MSP, you're not, there's no goals, there's no process. You're just kind of throwing it all together. And now you have to set the process and you have to say, okay, what's our goal here instead of running around, with 5,000 things going on, at least have that goal. So I think it's nice to have as a goal, but I agree with Amy. There's definitely a lot of numbers in between where it could probably be, but I think if we didn't have the goal in the first place, there'd be nothing to strive for at least and get you there. I don't think anybody should be thinking they're failing if they're not getting to that number either. Everybody, okay. everybody knows their own business better than we do. You Fair. should know where, where your profit is going to be, where you're making money. And if you don't know that, then you should definitely get some help in that area for sure it, and the thing is you know what there is no real cookie cutter solution for a service organization there's never going to be and there isn't one in any other type of organization either i mean in my career i've literally worked with thousands of msps and probably a couple hundred of companies outside of the it space um there is no silver bullet there is no a hundred percent do it this way approach. 
every entrepreneur is unique. That's why they're an entrepreneur. I mean, if, if you aren't built that way to be creative, to look at things different, to do things out of the box, you're working for somebody. Okay. So entrepreneurs by definition and by their own nature, do things differently. They solve problems in unique and creative ways. And when they hit that mark, that's when they have a a truly successful organization. Um, The building those bits and bytes together to create that is what makes each business unique. And I, I don't think that you can apply, and maybe this is the entrepreneur in me, I don't think you can apply a cookie cutter to any entrepreneur and say, you know, if you do these 10 things, you're going to be best in class. Well, I don't know, because I can talk to 10 different entrepreneurs and they're doing things very, very differently. Yeah, yeah I, I think that if that was the case, Amy, we'd all, every single company would be successful, right? So yeah. it's proof that that's the case too. And I would also say not every owner is an entrepreneur. Sure. Let's, let's, let's separate that as well. Right. And it doesn't, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying, you know, some people who aren't entrepreneurs are just also just don't want to work for somebody else. Right. They start a business and they, and they plug away and they do their thing. And some of them, uh, some I've been meeting a lot lately. Some of them are, have some entrepreneurial spirit, but definitely are not entrepreneurial. They're more techie, but they're also getting smart enough to realize where they need help. And I think that's the key. You don't have to be a full on entrepreneurial mind to start a business and do this stuff. You just have to realize where you need help and where, and, and get that help in those areas. I think that's something to, to take as well with this whole thing. hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, if you fill a room with people who all think about things the exact same way, they're never going to get out of the room. Like it's just impossible. You've got to have people who, who bring something else to the table that you don't possess because nobody possesses every single thing they need in order to be successful in whatever they're doing. Everybody needs help. And if you can acknowledge that and get to that level of humility and say, you know, I don't know everything. And I just made a ton of mistakes. Um, how do I fix this? I've got to bring in a new perspective. Yep. I mean, that's, that's how businesses grow. Fair enough. So, 100%. you know, I, for, I, you know, along this thought and we'll, we'll take a turn after this one, but I did a, I did a couple of sessions with um, the guys over at Ninja and there's a lot of guys out there that just can't find a way or they don't fathom that they can get their rates up to, the 150, the 175, the 200 plus, right? They hear those numbers and they're like, you're crazy. You're, you're, you're on drugs, pass it over. So what, you know, and some of them are like, Hey, our area doesn't bear that price. Right. right. They're just kind of maybe, you know, more rural area. And that the, the, that's not the prevailing price that'll fly. I get that. But to some degree, like especially with security, especially with cloud, especially with all of these subscription-based services that everybody seems to be forced into one way or another, you can't hide from it. You got to be able to get there at some point. So, for you know, what what is the major, you know, is it legitimate to say that hey, my area just won't pay that? Is it really legitimate, or is it a business design thing? Go ahead, Amy. Well, <laughs> again, I think 
I believe that's the wrong conversation to be having. Okay. Um, I think that if you are going to have a value-based conversation with your client, you need to be talking about outcomes, not about hourly rates. Um, you know, so client has a goal, whatever that goal is. And if I can support that goal through technology and services, what does that mean to that client? You know, does it mean greater efficiency? Does it mean more to their bottom line? Does that mean they're saving money? You know, what is it? Because that's what the entrepreneur cares about, right? Someone who's running a business or just a business line um, needs to know, can I save money? Can I make more money? Or can I be more efficient? Um, and if you're speaking to that, you're speaking value. Um, and, and that has never been an hourly rate. An hourly rate is, you know, can you unclog my toilet? What's it going to cost? Like, Okay, that that's that's something you apply an hourly rate to, or it could be a per user rate or a per machine. Well, yeah, I think what yeah, I think George was talking about per user rate of getting one fifty to two hundred per user to for for full blown managed services. I think that's more what he's going with. Oh, I know what he's going with, but I'm just saying I don't think that's the right question. I think that we, as a channel, as MSPs, should be looking at outcomes rather than hourly rates. I think that we should be thinking differently. Um, but I, I have thought that from the very beginning. I don't think we ever should have been talking about hourly rates. That's a break fix thing. That, that's what right. a break fix model is. Um, you know, and today when you talk about maturity model as the MSP model has matured over the last almost 20 years, you know, we're in the outcome-based era. That's where we're at today. Um, and so, Yes, you need to know internally with your finances when you're looking at things. What is my, my hourly cost per headcount? I need to know what all the things, the technologies that I'm putting in place today, I need to know my costs. But right. when I translate that to my value statement and the outcomes I'm going to deliver to my client, that to me is more of a monthly rate or quarterly, whatever your, your model is. Um, and you don't necessarily talk about the hourly headcount rate to the client. That's just an internal cost that I need to know about to build into my outcomes. Does, does that make sense? It's a different conversation and it's a different way of- I always tell my guys, it's, it's like you're working backwards, right? Hey, this is where I need to get to all right, let's go backwards from there and figure out how I, how I get there. Right. And like, it's, you know, I just, maybe, maybe it's cause I just went and saw a tenant in the movie theater that apparently nobody <laughs> wanted to go to, but um, like, Hey, you can go backwards from, from that point in time to get, and then ultimately get to where you're at now. And you view things differently when you're moving in that direction versus, Hey, we're just going to try, try, try. And hopefully we get where we're trying to go. Right. So I yeah. don't know. I feel like that's kind of what you're saying. Uh, I know I took a very uh, nouveau way to say that, but. Well, no, well, yeah. I mean, you're talking about the maturity model, right? You start a business and more often than not, you do a cost plus model, you know, figure out what everything costs me. I'm going to add some margin to it. And maybe I'm going to listen to the consultants and tell me what my cost plus margin should be, you know, and then I go from there. I, I get the maturity model and, and what you're saying, because that's exactly what it is. Cost plus. Um, in order to derive the value that you're looking for out of your own organization and also deliver value to your client, there's another evolution there, which is 
your value-based pricing, your outcome-based pricing. Um, and, and that's where you need to get to, but you have to know your cost plus first. You, you absolutely have to. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so another little wrench in the works, Amy, and, and I know cause you've worked in some rural places. So, so let's talk about the cost of the, that, the hold on, of, that, that may or may not have corn. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we, the one thing, the one piece that comes up here, and again, you know, I'm on board with everything you just said, because I'm all about solution, not products, value, all the things you said were spot on. But we also know that these tools and solutions cost the same, whether you're in Omaha, Nebraska, or you're in Boston, Massachusetts. And what they're saying, their question is, if I'm paying the same exact price for the same tools and want to make, you know, I want to be able to profit off of that. What's happening in places like New Mexico and maybe Omaha, I don't know, but like in places that maybe not are like major cities, how do I charge the same amount of money to make a good profit on those tools, those same tools that people in Boston, people in Philly, people in major cities are charging? I think, George, is that really where you're kind of coming from? Like people that, that are that saying seems, that? That seems to be a reoccurring theme. Yeah, these right. guys think that it's just not – doable and i don't and i don't know the answer either because i've never i've never actually had a business in that situation so as you won't you both know i'm not a silver bullet guy either i don't believe every solution fit, works for everybody you got to take bits and pieces and apply it to what you're doing but amy your point kind of made sense because i mean i know they cost the same but they have to realize what that cost is work backwards and then see how that's going to apply to the solution like you like you said what their solution what is the solution going to be? What's the value prop going to be and work backwards from that. So I just wonder if they're paying the same price for the solutions and products, what, what would, how would we help people in those situations? Cause George is right. That does come up quite a bit. You know, it's interesting if you think about, um, so you're kind of talking about two different mindsets. I'll, I'll call it that for lack of a better term. Um, you know, you have, and, and, this has just been in my experience. Um, the, the group of folks that say, I can't sell that, it's too expensive, or that, you know, my market won't support that, what, you know, whatever their excuse is, you know, for not being able to do that particular thing, um, that permeates the whole business, okay? That, that's a whole different mindset. If you go over here and you start talking to MSPs or any entrepreneur who, isn't thinking that way um, and is thinking, okay, how, how much value do I actually deliver to my client? And what is that value worth? That's a whole different mindset. That's a whole different business. And you're going to find those folks in every market. I mean, I live in Omaha, Nebraska. There are extremely successful MSPs in my region who understand how to market, sell, position, value versus product and my hourly rate. Right. There are tons of hourly rate people here. There are less super successful large MSPs, but there are, and they charge a premium price. They do. So, um, you know, for, for me, I remember, you know, when I was selling to end users as an MSP, you know, one of my quick qualifiers was how that potential client looked at technology. And if they saw it as a necessary evil and didn't want to pay, you know, they just want to get the cheapest thing possible, 
Thank you very much, sir, ma'am. I'm going to move on and find a client that's going to be a good right. fit for my company. You know, so I think it's it's a bigger issue than just actually the cost plus. I mean, it's it's really how you grow your business and 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 how you approach um, that growth. Yeah, makes sense. It's a good answer. What so you know? Looking at the the whole big picture, then right. If you were to have somebody start brand new today, right? They they didn't make the investments in the tools ten years ago. They they didn't have that legacy kind of weight that they've built up over time, right? They're starting new. I know Ken jokes about it all the time. He's like, if I knew what stuff the stuff that I have to have out there today, I should just go and start start another one. Um, is you know, and and with the whole idea of hey stay lean right you know don't spend it to you absolutely have to make it you know to progress you know your agenda what it what is that what does that new msp look at right what is their what is their view do you step you know to your to everyone's point so far is it hey before you go and buy anything figure out what your game plan is what are you trying to help people do and then work from there and if, or if it, or if it's just, Hey, I'm a generalist, right? I just like it. I like helping people, you know, how can I do that with today's technology? Where, where would you tell people to start looking to determine what their, what their business is going to help solve? I'll tell you right out of the gate. I'd tell the generalist to go work for an MSP. Okay. That's the first thing I would say. If you're just someone that wants to go out there and help people jumping into this as a business, probably is not the right direction. That's just my two cents. I think from an MSP perspective to Amy's point and what you just alluded to, you have to know what you want to do first. I think that's the mistake that we all, all of us have made and MSPs make, oh, I do IT. I'm going to jump into this IT world here and I'm going to start getting customers. And well, why are you getting customers before you even know what you want your customers to look like? When we made that mistake in the past, we had to weed those guys out and then go back after the ones we know we want now to Amy's point. If they don't value, value what you do, why are you trying to sell to them? So I think finding out what you want to do first and how you want to approach it, that's the first step for any, any business, right? I mean, you should know what you want to do and how you're going to do it first, figure out that value, and then you can build up your stack and, and, and build, build off of that. And I, I think it's definitely a good time to still do this. It's actually a great time because cloud has just been, you know, sped up at least five years based on this whole, you know, this whole thing that just happened, just it's pushed out to everybody. Um, so that's, that's kind of the simple, easy answer as far as um, if there are people looking to get in with what they should be doing, that's what they should do. And I know Amy will definitely have some stuff to add on to this. Cause well, I'll, even, I'll even throw another wrinkle. Cause I feel like Amy might be saying the same thing, but then where do I, where do I go to look to figure it out? The channel. These people, MSPs, other MSPs, that's your first place. People like Amy, people like George, you know, vendors, MSPs, get a feel for the, air, the field you're jumping into. Um, peer groups, there's just so much that you, so much information you can get before you jump in um, that I feel like that's how I learned everything I learned. I was no genius at any of this. Uh, I probably wouldn't even think of myself as an entrepreneur. Maybe I, I do think a little bit outside the box, but still maybe not even think of that. But it was the people that I got to know, even moving through this along the way. I mean, Amy, how many times have we had conversations over the last 10 years just about MSPs type stuff where just, you know, 
throwing stuff around and trying to get ideas about what I'm going to do to handle something, what you're going to do to handle something. Um, using your peers. Don't be afraid to talk to other people in the business. Everybody's pretty open about helping each other out. I think my two favorite conversations of ours, Ken, one was that Mexican place in downtown Baston that you took me to. Um, and the other one was smoking my first cigar, which was, was with you um, at the, uh, at the uh, Gaylord in Dallas. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, side note. And that was, by the way, that was eight years ago. That one in Dallas. I just, it just popped up on my, uh, my memory thing. I was like, holy moly, eight years. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in IT, the only thing that differentiates MSP number one from MSP number two is service. It's literally the only differentiator because we all have access to the same technologies, the same manufacturers, the same vendors, the same distributors, the same cloud companies. We, we, can, we can procure any of these technologies. It's how we deliver the service that makes us different. And so if, if, if I were to give anybody advice, I would tell them to really think about that. Really think about that because as, as MSPs, we all tend to get real nerdy and talk tools and software and technology before we talk about business delivery process. Um, but it's the service delivery that makes us different. So I would really, really think about that much longer, much harder than I think about the actual technologies because you can swap out, you know, tomorrow there's going to be something, some better technology, right? We can always swap that out but we can't change how we do what we do as quickly and, and as easily. So that's the most important piece in my opinion um, than anything. Right on. Favorite food from the trip. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, that, that Asian fusion barbecue bistro thing oh. in, uh, in Fort Worth. That, yeah. that was my favorite. Um, on the, uh, from the food trucks. Oh my gosh. I, right now, all I can remember is cheeseburgers. I mean, do we have anything other than cheeseburgers? Yeah, oh my had, Lord. We had, we had pizza, pizza. We had we barbecue. Had, yeah. We had, yeah, we had so many different, you know why you were so busy. Yeah. You that was, well, and, and I couldn't stand eating in the heat. So I was always <laughs> getting my food truck food, like right before we pulled out of the parking lot and tried to eat it in there. So, yeah, I think, yeah, probably barbecue would have been my favorite, I think. Um, the funnel cakes were awesome in Kansas City, though. I got to oh, tell you that. I'll take that credit for that one. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it, it, it all happened by accident, though, because the truck that we were supposed to get, something happened, and at the last minute, I'm like, maybe I'll just throw some variety in there, and a funnel cake truck just happened to pop up. <laughs> yeah. Only no, funnel cakes are awesome in the Midwest. Yeah, that was good. Um, you know, last thoughts, right? Would you recommend, there's a lot of MSPs that they never go to events. They never walk out of their office. Sometimes they're just too in their business to be able to detach, right? Sometimes people do this, you know, to get a break, take a vacation, learn more, whatever. If you were to tell people, hey, sometimes you should take, get out of the cave and see what's going on. Um, would you tell them try once a year? Would you tell them don't waste your time? What's your feeling? 
Um, well, since I met all of you at an event, it's kind of hard for me to say not to go to an event and not do too many. I was an event, uh, I don't want to say the word on here. I've, I frequented events quite a bit. Um, and, I, and I won't say that every event was equal as far as the content, but I will say that most events were equal with the people. My networking, the things that I did separate from the event were far, far advanced beyond what happened at the event. Now, some of the events will have some great content, some great speakers, and that's all bonuses. Plus you get to meet vendors and understand what they're doing and see other tools, get to know new tools and toys. And I don't recommend taking them all and going back and throwing them at your team. That's a whole other conversation. The card, but, but yeah, exactly. Here's all the shiny toys, guys. Let's figure them all out. And then nothing gets figured out. But the people, it's the connections that you make at these events. That's what you should be working hard at. Go to larger events that have mature MSPs at the events. And I guarantee you, you'll find any one of these people in a hallway and a lobby bar or whatever it may be. So I say do, there is a fine line for doing too many of them, but I would say do as many as you can when you find that value as you're going along. I met almost every contact I have at one of these events, whether it be the MSPs I met while I was an MSP, helped me grow my business, to vendors that I met, to just everybody in between. And most of these people are become really, really close friends and people I trust when, I, when I'm making business decisions. I can reach out and, and do something like that. So for me, and I'm sure it's gonna be similar for both of you guys, but for me, go to as many as you can, make sure that they have value for you though. Yeah, I would, I would just say, you know, find the mode of sharing that you're comfortable with. Um, you know, if it's a peer group, a Facebook group, a live event, a couple live events, um, you know, whatever it is, uh, do that. It's good to hear different perspective. It's, it's good to hear how somebody else is solving a problem that you might have in your business. Um, so, so whatever mode of sharing is, is comfortable, do it. And then, you know, at least try one thing a year that's not comfortable. And, and if events are not comfortable for you, try one, um, you know, live events, I should say. Um, but, and that's just me. I mean, I, I tend to want to push myself into uncomfortable situations to expand my ability to deal with those and, and to learn new things. So, you know, that's, that's how I've done it. So thus going on a bus tour for three weeks. Yeah. With a bunch of dudes and only one other girl. It was, <laughs> yeah, that was a challenge. And we can talk about that on another trip, but <laughs> I well, appreciate everybody jumping on. Thanks everybody for watching this. This is recorded and on mspinitiative.com. Uh, you can check out all of the people that we interviewed and stops that we made and cities that we ran through at uh, mspinitiative.com slash channel strong tour, or just, search hashtag channel strong on your favorite social media platform. We will be back every Tuesday and Thursday, one o'clock Eastern time. And you'll see more faces from the, uh, the tour. And who knows, there might be a future where we go and venture out into the world again to see what's happening as time has progressed. Thank you very much for watching guys. Thanks for jumping on and we'll catch everybody soon. Thanks guys. Bye.